Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you're going to want to check them out. Now, you can also head on over to Instagram. Find me over there at SpeakadogCast for more dog training and dog content coming your way. And if you want to support the show even further, head on over to Patreon.com slash SpeakadogCast and you can become a patron of the show today. And if the visual thing, well, if that's more your thing, YouTube.com slash SpeakadogCast. Find me there, subscribe to my YouTube channel. And of course, guys, if you love what you're hearing, if you're enjoying the podcast, do me a favor, scroll down, click that five-star rating, leave me a review, let me know what you're thinking. I would love it. Thank you guys so much. Give me that five-star rating. If you're on YouTube, click the thumbs up, of course. Now on today's show, uh, we have socializing your dog. Yes, the importance of socializing your dog, the proper way to do it, and most importantly, how to do that introduction, right? Because that's the most important part about socialization. Then comes fostering a dog. Yes, guys, our rescues are full, and we need you guys to get out there and help us out foster those dogs. Let's get these dogs more adoptable and into people's homes. Then comes the history of Animal Mascots 101, followed by the listener Q&A. And if you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, you can keep sending them my way. You can email me questions at speakadogcast.com or just message me on social media. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. And today's question is going to be, what is the fastest reproducing mammal? Yes, what is the fastest reproducing mammal? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, socializing your dog. It's definitely an important part of raising a puppy, right? Proper socialization. But it's also a very important part of your dog's adult life too, right? We all want to have relationships, friendships, and to some degree, right? It's not a human being relationship. Your dog wants the same kind of thing, needs that same kind of fulfillment of having proper socialization, proper social structures. And so there's many different ways that we can socialize our dogs, and some of them come with some baggage, <laughs> uh, you know, such as a dog park or even a doggy day camp facility for that matter. And so we're going to talk about ways you can socialize your dogs, proper way to socialize your dogs, things you need to maybe look for in other people's dogs, not just your own, when you're socializing your dog to keep everybody safe and happy. So when we talk about socializing your dogs, you know, everybody immediately thinks puppies, you know, puppy socialization, and that's where we'll start. It is very important that you socialize your dog from a young age. Now, with that said, just as a reminder, don't forget, your puppy is going to need to get those puppy shots. And those shots usually last up till about four months old. And depending upon the level of how many shots your dog has had of certain vaccinations and certain things is going to depend on how much you can expose your dog to, well, unknown dogs and new things and the public and all that kind of stuff. Guys, it's just, just a, again, a quick side note. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it's, it's very important that we talk about it. Um, things like parvovirus and that's the biggest one that you really, really got to be concerned about when you have a small dog and they have not been properly vaccinated. It can be it can be so detrimental to your pet. Some of these things can kill your young dog. Their immune system has not been built up, and that's obviously why we give them the vaccinations. And so it's very important that you understand what vaccinations your dog has had and at what level you can let them participate in dog parks and doggy day camps and those kinds of things. So while, yes, it is important to socialize our dogs from a young age, 
it's important that you know who you're socializing your dog with. So is that to say under four months you can't socialize your dog? No. But it is to say you need to know who you're socializing with. What are those, you know, look, if you've got a friend whose dog goes to a gigantic doggy day camp facility five days a week, maybe you should wait to socialize with that dog until it's a little older, your dog's a little older, because you just don't know the level of exposure that dog has had and what it's come in contact with. So very important that you're cautious at least under four months without all the vaccinations about who your dog is socializing with. So that's the first thing. Just kind of have to get that out of the way. Check that off the list. Right. Um, but when it comes to socializing our puppies, guys, there is a right and a wrong way to do it. There's a proper way to do it. And look, the comparison I always give is you have to think about children in a playground. You don't just say to your kid, Hey, I've never taught you how to play. I've never taught you sharing or rules. There's a playground. There's a bunch of kids. Go have fun. <laughs> it's not going to end so well. There's going to be some screaming and crying at some point. And so it's important that we teach kids, right? We teach them social structure, rules, boundaries, these things before they can go to the playground. And you have to think of it as the same thing. Like you don't just want to send your very young puppy off to doggy day camp without having properly taught them how to socialize because it could end very badly for everybody, right? Uh, we could have crying dogs, not really crying, but you get what I'm saying, uh, squealing. <laughs> All right. So, and again, the thing is it might be your dog that's doing the wrong thing. It might not, but if they're not properly socialized, they don't know how. So my preference is to start socialization with family and friends Dogs, people that you know, dogs you're probably familiar with, you know their temperament, you know their disposition, you know how they act. And to me, that's the safest way when it comes to puppies, and for that matter, even older dogs, guys, that's the safest way to kind of dip our foot in the water, if you will, test the boundaries and see how the socialization goes. Because, you know, look, if something does go wrong, at least you know the person, okay? Uh, maybe that's not a good thing. No, <laughs> you know, you can deal with it in a way that's going to be good for everybody. Um, so I find that the best way to start socializing with other dogs is find friends and family whose dogs you're familiar with that you know and go from there. Start small too. Let's not throw our brand new dog in a crowd of 20 dogs and go, hey, let's see what happens. May not end really well. It may, may be fine, but I'd rather risk it with one or two dogs than 20 dogs, right? Uh, start slow. The new dog could also get overwhelmed with 20 dogs for all you know. So just think about that. Start slowly. Start with familiar dogs that you know, family and friends dogs, okay? Um, now, a question I do often get is, David, I've got a new dog coming to my house to meet my dog right? Um, it's just a friend. The dog's going to come over. They want, you know, we want to hang out. We want our dogs to hang out while we're hanging out. What's the best way to introduce them, right? Very common question and a great question because guys, that first introduction is key. That first introduction that we do with dogs is sort of the way, you know, the way you have to look at it. It's going to set the tone, right? It's really going to set the tone for how that relationship and how that friendship is going to evolve. And especially with dogs, if we have, well, especially with dogs, think about men too. Uh, <laughs> but human beings aren't the best at it. First interaction doesn't go so well. Down the road, it kind of leads to animosity and things like that. Um, it's not to say dogs are having those feelings and emotions, but what it is is an experience and a conditioned experience that they have uh, with that particular dog and therefore sets the tone, right? Kind of, kind of sets it and lays it all out for how it's going to be. So if we can do it in a way that's going to be um, calmer for each dog, we want to do it that way. So here's what I recommend. I highly recommend, again, this is dogs that have never met each other. I highly recommend taking the dogs outside of the house on leash and starting from a distance. We've talked about doing introductions on leash from a distance, and that's what this is. Um, you know, first things first, we want to make it a neutral environment, 
we're not in that dog, you're not in your dog's home, um, and that dog's not in a strange environment. Well, the outside's probably a strange environment, but it's less strange, it's less restricting. There's not, you know, there's no walls, there's no uh, narrow corridors. Sometimes the entrance of your house is a narrow corridor. If we bring the dogs in and all of a sudden they feel trapped, that can lead to a bad experience. So it's much better that we do it controlled on leash outside in a neutral environment. What I prefer to do is let them see each other from 40, 30, 40 feet away, a good distance, making sure we're playing it safe here, and see what they do from 30 to 40 feet away without calling their name, without interacting, without, oh, blah, blah, blah. no, just see what happens, you know? And if they don't really care about each other, well, we move a little closer, okay? Another 10 feet in. And the idea is we want to try to remain calm while moving the dogs closer and closer so that way it never uh, escalates, whether through hyperness or aggression, whatever the case may be. We're letting the dogs understand from a distance, hey, I'm not a threat to you. You're not a threat to me. We're cool. Okay? And if they can experience that for a couple minutes from a distance, we can move closer and closer. And before you know it, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, this is, dad, this is that same dog from 40 feet back, right? Like, no big deal, right? But if we don't take our time and we rush into it, we might inadvertently make another dog uncomfortable too fast. Maybe a dog bolts in to say hi, um, or we just, you know, right at. That can make a dog uneasy. So it's very important that we do these introductions and this socialization properly. We take our time. We go to a neutral environment. We try to work it from far away. Guys, this might take 20 minutes. I know, David. The more you practice these kind of things with your dog, the more meeting a new dog isn't such a big deal, right? So if you take the time, put in the time, put in the effort now, down the road, this turns into a one, two-minute exercise, okay? Um, look, the calmer your dog is when it meets another dog, the more success you're going to have, when you meet other dogs. Like, think about this. Oh, damn, I can hear it. David, my dog's just happy. He wants to say hi to the other dogs. You can keep thinking that all you want, but that's not a proper way for a dog to go and barking and yapping and jumping. And uh, That's not a proper way for another dog to meet another dog. We think it is. That's become the norm. But I'm here to tell you as the professional, as the expert in this field, that is not proper socialization. It's one thing if a dog knows the other dog. That's one of their really good friends, and they're a little excited. Even still, I don't, I don't want the hyper overexcitement. I don't mind a little excitement when they see their bud. But we take it to this level of the dog literally is bowling you over, and we're going, this is what a dog is supposed to do. Pull me over and get to its friend. Okay, dogs that are unfamiliar with each other, that can cause issues. So, guys, it's so important. I promise you, like, think about it. Think about it in your own experience. When you're out in public, the dogs that are just totally calm, cool, and collected, usually other dogs approach them in a calm, cool, and collected way, right? Or if that dog's calm and cool and collected and this other dog isn't, usually the other dog's owner's like, ooh, we're going to avoid this. What does that tell you? Okay, so food for thought. Dogs don't <laughs> approach each other in the way that we think they, uh, let me rephrase that, dogs don't approach each other, should not approach each other in the way that most human beings think they should. Excited, crazy, out of control. They should be calm, all right? And so if we create that proper socialization at the introduction, we're less likely to have issues down the road. Now, once the dogs are we've met, we're, uh, once we get close enough that we're ready to meet, you know, we're 10 feet away and we're ready to actually make contact here, um, simply put, we're gonna let them go in Sniff each other for a split second and then turn and walk away. Guys, very important our leash work is on point here. You want to make sure you're keeping a nice loose leash when you're introducing to another dog because once again, we don't want inadvertent tension building up in that moment, right? So 
it's important that that leash stay nice and loose. And not only that, when I'm introducing another dog to, you know, to a dog in front of me, I'm considering where my leash is in this mix and where the other owner's leash is in this mix. And I'm always trying to make sure we're not tangled and we're giving ourselves a way out. When I approach another dog to say hello, my thought is saying, how do I get out of here in a worst case scenario? Am I tightening up and expecting that worst case scenario? No, I'm relaxed, I'm calm, I have a loose leash, but it's in the back of my brain of worst case scenario, where am I going right now? You know. It's interesting, this is how my parents taught me how to drive. Um, it, it's so funny, it's, it, think of it like that. Like, it, it's, it's not, I don't wanna get in an accident, but what happens when this guy comes over into my lane when I don't expect it? My parents taught me very much to think, and I'm, I've gotten really good at autopiloting that now, um, of having that thought process of where do I go next? I know right now I've got a car to the left of me, and I've got a car back behind me to the right. So if I swerve into the right lane, I'm potentially getting, What's my best option? Maybe the best option is to hit the accelerator. Maybe the option is to brake and then get over behind the guy to my left. I'm always thinking, where's my out, right? And that's probably why, knock on wood, um, I do a pretty darn good job at avoiding accidents and issues because I'm always having that thought. So I take that and I continue it over to my dog training, that thought process of where is my out right now? Okay, how do I get out of this situation in a worst case scenario? I think that's something with socialization that people don't take into consideration enough. Like we're all like, oh, they're dogs. It's just fun and happy and fluffy and yay. And dogs are domesticated predators. And I don't think people take into consideration enough that there could be a worst case scenario. And not only there could be what to do when it happens. So when it comes to socialization and meeting new dogs, it's very important because it may not be your dog, guys. It might not be your dog that's the instigator. It might be the new dog you're meeting, that total stranger, and you don't know. This is why I'm cautious. I've seen too many things. I've heard too many things. To be honest, guys, this is why I'm very cautious when I go out and meet new dogs. This is why I just, I don't, I don't meet a lot of dogs out in public on leash. I just don't do it with my dogs often. Um, I read scenarios, I read situations, and I let the ones say hi that I you know, think are good. Uh, I don't want to totally not socialize my dogs in that sense, but I'm very particular on uh, what dogs I let my dogs say hello to. And there is nothing wrong with that. Another little side note, be empowered that it is your dog and it is your rules. And if you don't want to say hi to another person or another dog when you're out in public, you have zero obligation to. It's your dog. It's not theirs. You didn't bring it out for them to pet it. You brought it out for whatever your reasons are. And that doesn't entitle anybody to say hello to your dog. Okay, One of my biggest pet peeves. Um, so let it empower you that it's your dog when you take them out into public and nobody else's. Okay, so... Dogs have met now, socialization's good, we're right, we're on leash, we're out in front of the house, now we can go inside and let them do their thing. Maybe take them into the backyard and pop the leashes off and let them romp around and have some fun. Um, but the key is taking those introductions slowly. That is such a key component to socialization that most people just wanna gloss over. We just wanna pop the leashes off and let them go, and they're fine in the first five minutes, and then all of a sudden you can see it building, and then by 10, 15 minutes in, we have a mini fight going on, don't we? Because people go, well, David, they're fine. Like, they're so what? They're well, 10 minutes later, they weren't. Look, I always say fights don't start with dogs, they don't just start immediately, and for that matter, with humans, too. It starts with a look, cautious look, or a th right? That's what it starts with, or a overstare. <laughs> okay, fights usually start with dogs 
well before, 10, 20 minutes, hell, even a day before the fight actually happens. And it's those subtleties that people miss, uh, those cues and those subtleties that people miss picking up on to be able to prevent these incidents from happening. And so if people took the proper time to do a proper introduction to create proper socialization, maybe we'd have less issues. Right. So, okay. So look, I know I'm kind of focusing on some of the doom and gloom of the socialization, but like I said, if we do it correctly, if everybody did it correctly, we would have so many less incidents occurring. Okay. So obviously, like I said, the first way to do it is to socialize among friends and family dogs, taking our time, introducing outside neutral environment. What happens when we feel like our dog is now doing fantastic? We want to take it up a notch. Maybe it is time to go to the dog park, and some of you have heard my thoughts on the dog parks, and we're not going to get in depth on this today. What I'm going to say is be cautious at the dog park. Make sure you are aware of all the rules of the dog park, and your dog is abiding by them. Number one rule that almost every dog park that I've ever seen, I think every dog park I've ever seen, has, your dog must have a recall. Your dog must be able to come back to you when you call them without much issue, okay? That's a big one, and I completely agree with it. If your dog does not come back to you in an unleashed, uncontrolled environment pretty damn well, then you have no business being in that environment. Full-blown honesty from a professional, guys. If your dog doesn't come back to you, you have no business being in a dog park. So with that said, uh, dog parks are a double-edged sword. They can be a great way to socialize your dogs and get some of that excess energy out, but they can also be bad because they do have uncontrolled dogs, untrained dogs, uh, owners that refuse to listen to reason and logic. Um, dog parks can be good and bad. So with that, I'm simply saying, take it with a grain of salt, be careful and be cautious. And if ever at any point there's something you don't like that you're seeing in a dog park, awesome option. If your dog knows a recall, you call them, they come to you, you leash them up and you walk out of there. Okay, that's, that's my biggest, kind of my biggest couple of things just in a nutshell about dog parks, but they can be a great way. They can be a good tool if you find the right one. <laughs> and with that said, it extends to the doggy day camp facilities. It's the same thing, guys. Be cautious and be smart. Look, with COVID, um, a lot of these doggy day camp facilities have just popped up left and right. Uh, and it's a lot of people who have really good heart but maybe not the best brain when it comes to dog training and behavior. And I say training, well, David, it's a doggy day camp facility. Guys, if there's not some level of behavior and training and awareness going on, that makes a very dangerous situation, okay? So do your research, do your research, please, please, please. Look, even in the past, I think like 10 episodes or so, I've uh, talked about boarding your dog, taking your dog to boarding facilities, what to look for. Go back and check out some of those episodes and segments on that. It goes more in depth of what you need to look for in a doggy daycare facility. But I'm a huge advocate for it. Um, I am. I do believe there are very many, very, very many doggy day camp facilities doing it right, doing it properly, and that's fantastic. Unfortunately, for everyone doing it right, there's probably five of them doing it wrong. So just do your research, get referrals, take tours of the facility, see every inch of it, know what they do, look at the daily schedule, read the behavior of the dogs in the facility when you're there. Are they spinning obsessively? Are there tons of barking? Look, one little side note really quick I'm going to make, and I hadn't talked about this yet. My wife and I, uh, we went out of town for a couple weeks and we had to board one of our dogs. And we unfortunately had to split up the time for one of the dogs that we boarded. The other three dogs were with somebody we knew, but we had, we boarded one of them and one of the, he went to two different facilities. Okay. In my town. And I'm not going to name names. There's a lot of facilities. So you can play the guessing game if you're from my area and feel free, but I'm not here to, I'm not here to bash anybody. 
at the same time, I feel like this did need to be talked about. And I don't know, we may go more into depth on this later. But my dog, Nemo, he stayed at two different facilities. Um, first week, he stayed at one place. Second week, he was at another. And like the third week or not quite a week, whatever it was, he went back to the first facility he stayed at. First facility he stayed at was phenomenal. Uh, the woman in charge cared for him, loved him, said he was such a great dog. He had a wonderful time. She sent us video updates, picture updates. Um, we, we saw all kinds of great stuff. And he was very happy there. You know, he was very, very happy there. And you could tell he he was fulfilled. And when we toured the place, it was quiet. There weren't dogs um, totally out of control. It wasn't just a free-for-all. She has a max on how many number of dogs she boards and doggy daycare. Keeps everything controlled and reasonable and has the property and space and awesome. Like the dogs get tons of exercise. It's amazing. Second facility he went to, not so much. And the amazing thing is, guys, this facility, and I'm not going to try to keep it surface level if I can here, the second facility he went to was run by a training professional. Someone with a year more experience than I have. Um, Now, they don't hands-on daily run the boarding side of their facility. It's their facility. They set it up. They own it. They run it. But they're not involved in the day-to-day. They're more involved in the training side. And guys, I'm... My dog left that facility incredibly anxious. Nemo was incredibly anxious after leaving that facility. And that and look, we were we had our hands tied a little bit on timing. Um, and again, even myself, you can't predict everything that will happen. And it's not that he was mistreated or anything like that. It's just he wasn't walked, he wasn't stimulated enough, and it was a nickel and diming place. And that's 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 the point I'm getting to. I am a very I I don't like nickel and diming anything, but I really don't like it when it comes to pets because what it means is we're going to do the bare minimum. And when you pay us, we're going to do just, when you pay for extra things and do just above the bare minimum. That's what I don't like about the nickel and diming because what it says to me is you don't really want to do the work um, and you want to make the buck. That's fine, but it doesn't work so well with animals. So, like, I'm trying to kind of nutshell this, but do your research, you know, as best as you possibly can. And even then, you can't be perfect. And no human can be perfect. Um, but do your research on where you take your dogs for boarding and for doggy day camps. There are a lot of reputable places, so please do it. Like I said, I'm all for it. Uh, I'm all for doing doggy day camps. I think most people, especially people that have, you know, uh, both both adults in the household are working, kids in school. It's a lot. It's a lot for your dog to sit there eight hours a day, five days a week and not do a damn thing. It's one thing if it's a 12-year-old dog. It's another thing if it's a young dog who's got a lot of energy to get out. Okay, Um, So that can help facilitate that socializing and socialization that they need. Just do your research on where they're going. So, all right. I know that was kind of a lot there, but there is a proper way to socialize and I'm all about it. Dogs are pack animals. It's in their nature. They want to be social. They want to be with other dogs, but there is a right and a wrong way to do it. And Another little note I kind of skipped out on, you're the owner. You're the dog parent. At the end of the day, when it comes to socialization, it is not up to the dogs to fully 100% figure it all out. Just as you wouldn't let two four-year-olds figure it out and duke it out together, you as the owner need to know when to step in and when it's appropriate to let certain behaviors go and other behaviors not so much. Have the Let it, once again, empower you as the owner to be able to control your dog in a way that's healthy for everyone, for your dog, for your friend's dogs, everybody your dog is socializing 
with. All right, guys, so take your time with that socialization, especially especially that introduction. Get them out there with your friends and family dogs, work it up to a dog park, and then up to like a doggy day camp facility. Very important, very basic foundational building block of a dog's life is to have that socialization. socialization. So, hey, get out there and socialize your dog. Tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At the Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. a dog. What an important, amazing thing that you guys can do to help out your rescue dogs in your area. Yes, fostering a dog. How about for people who maybe just don't have a ton of time to commit to a dog? Guys, fostering a dog for a couple days, a week, two weeks, anything. Anything can be very, very helpful. Shelters are really overrun. Um, I feel like they have been the past two years you know, between COVID and then emptying the shelters and then shelters getting filled back up when people went back to work. And there's just a lot of sad, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching stories down here. You know, we unfortunately we have a lot of old people. And I mean, that's just the reality. We get a lot of owners who get very sick or pass away. And a lot of these poor dogs that are eight, 10 years old, that are sweet as can be, amazing companions, they're sitting there with no home. Their lives get appended, you know, and it's just, it's sad. So I plead to you guys, if you are someone out there, if you know somebody out there who wants the companionship of a dog, doesn't have the full time to commit to it, maybe it's just the exercise part of it they can't do, look into fostering a dog. There are so many older dogs out there that desperately need homes. You know, I've said it before, my wife and I, if we ever just have a ridiculous amount of money, um, I'm going to open <laughs> a rescue for old, old dogs to give them a nice home, um, you know, for the last few years of their life, as opposed to having to sit in a rescue. Breaks my heart, guys. Um, again, to, th like, to think of my dogs being eight, 10 years old, and all of a sudden, I can't care for them anymore. And they end up in a shelter, just like it, it breaks my heart. Um, like makes me sick. So please foster a dog. <laughs> please foster a damn dog. Um, like, ah, golly, it, it's, it's tough guys. Like this is why I could never do rescue work because I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. Um, like those people are amazing and the incredible work that they do. And one way you can help out is by fostering a dog. That's the thing with fostering is everybody thinks it's got to be this like 20, you know, a year commitment and all this kind of stuff, or it doesn't have to be. There are a lot of rescues that offer short-term foster programs because just being able to get those dogs out of the shelter for a week 
I mean, think of what that does for the poor dogs, guys. It's got to be such a relaxing environment to be able to get out of something like that and go to somebody's home. So check with your local rescues, see if they offer that. A lot of these places even offer um, like dog out for a day where you can actually take a dog just for the day, take them for a walk, take them to the park, have some fun with them uh, and then bring them back. That can go a long way too because what if you've had dogs in the past and you're actually decent, this is my, this is my, what if you're a decent trainer? Like what if you're actually decent at training dogs, you know, and, and you, you don't want to make a career out of it. That's just fine. But you could be very useful. You could be very useful and put that skill to work by fostering a dog. When you foster a dog and you teach them basics like a sit, a lie down, a stay, it immediately makes them so much more adoptable. People don't really think about that. But if you could just take two weeks of your time, teach a dog some basic commands, how to walk on a leash better, any of these things that go into creating a, quote, good dog, right? Because we know they are. That's just it. They just have to be taught. But if you, as a person who could help, could put in that time with a foster, you make these dogs so much more adoptable to the average person. Um, You know, I think that's a lot of the problem with rescue dogs is people kind of attach this, oh, it's going to be untrained. It's not going to listen. And look, to some degree, they might be right. If it's a total stray and they've never known any type of structure and, and anything in their life, it might be a little hard. But if you could help facilitate that, think about it. You could help get that dog adopted just by taking them for a week and teaching them some basics, right? Now I can hear, David, we've got a trip coming up. I don't know if I can take, foster the dog until a week before your trip, guys. Take them back to the shelter, you know, say, hey, this is the progress we've made. And you might get the good news that when you get home from your trip, Dog's been adopted. So I know this seems like kind of a pleading, oh, please. Yeah, it kind of is. Like, I'll beg you guys if I have to. Foster a dog. You do so much good by taking them out of the shelter, teaching them something amazing, and being able to get them back to the shelter and be more adoptable. Um, okay, I met somebody a while back who was, who was telling me, because he found out what I did for a living. He goes, oh my God, I love dogs. He said, but I just don't have the time. Like, I just don't have, I, I work too many hours. You know, my off days, sure, I'd love to have a buddy to hang out with. And I said, hey, you should look into call a shelter, ask if you can take a dog, you know, for a day, for two days, uh, your two days off it doesn't have to be every week doesn't have to be every time. I understand, guys, um, if your lifestyle just doesn't fully agree with a full commitment to a dog, this is a way you can get your fix, <laughs> get your doggy fix, as well as do some good. All right. Um, to me, that's that's like that's the best part of it, right? You can get something out of this by having a dog for a little while, and you also are able to give back to that dog and to the rescue by doing. Here's the other thing: if you take a dog for like a month or two from a rescue, think about this: you just created another space available for another dog to be rescued. I know. Um, it's like it's. It's a tough business, guys. It's a tough business to be in dog rescue and animal rescue. And these people put their hearts and souls and time and money and effort and everything into it. Um, so consider, like, if you can't foster, and I, I, if you can't foster, buy a bag of dog food for a rescue. Okay? Send them a check for $10. Um, whatever you can do. When you're at the pet store and you're buying a toy for your dog, buy an extra one. Make a little pile. And every month or so, send that pile 
to the rescues. Now, of course, a lot of these animal rescues now are working with Amazon, uh, whatever that, oh my God, I'm blanking on it right now, of course. Um, but the Amazon thing where you can actually buy stuff directly to them, you can donate, you can do all these amazing things. Um, but that's just it. If you can't foster, please contribute in one way or the other. You know, my wife and I, we try to give to a couple of the rescues in the area. And um, I highly suggest you guys do as well. Of course, there's also the tax benefits, <laughs> as my, my CPA account and wife will attest to. Guys, there are tax benefits to donating to your local animal rescues. Even a bag of dog food, toys, these things can be uh, uh, put toward a tax benefit for you. So something to consider when you're, um, when you're making donations, make it to your local animal rescue. And of course, please foster a dog, guys. It takes a little effort, really, like on your part. It doesn't have to be this full lifetime commitment. It can be a small effort. It can be a big effort, whatever level you want it to be. But the shelters are filling up right now, and it's important that we do our part in helping them out. So go check in with your local shelter. See if they do fostering for a couple hours, fostering for a day, fostering for a week. A lot of these places are perfectly willing to work with people like you who want to put in the time, love, an effort to help care for the dogs. Okay, so get out there today, check out your local rescue, and foster a pet today. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's the history of Animal Mascots 101. Today, we'll be talking about the University of South Carolina. The University of South Carolina was founded on February 2nd, 1801. The school went 101 years without having a mascot, but a lot of us now, well, we know their mascot. Yes, they are known as the Gamecocks. Interesting name, yeah, interesting mascot for sure. But so you might just be wondering, how did the school earn the name the Gamecocks? Now, it all goes back to the bitter rivalry between South Carolina and the Clemson Tigers. In 1902, Clemson was the main rival of South Carolina, and the South Carolina team had just won the football game against Clemson. In a celebration, students were running around with a gamecock, uh, excuse me, running around with a drawing of a gamecock crowing over a beaten tiger. The Clemson students took offense to this and demanded that the students destroy the drawing and not bring it to the celebration parade the following day. Of course, the students didn't listen, and they brought the drawing, paraded it around. Now, originally, Clemson was a military school, and they actually had had their cadets there on that day to march in the parade. Now, when word spread to the cadets that the drawing was still being shown about, they marched onto the campus in an attempt to steal and destroy the drawing. But then word got back to the South Carolina students that the Clemson cadets were coming. So about 40 students, seriously, armed themselves with knives and pistols, hunkered down behind a wall, and waited to fend off the Clemson students. Crazy. Police and professors came out to defuse the situation, and they convinced all the students to actually burn the drawing together, and everyone cheered as they lit it on fire, and thankfully, nobody was hurt. Now, after this incident, uh, after this incident, newspapers began to report on the South Carolina team as the Gamecocks, and the name stuck. Now, there's also a tradition still to this day that every South Carolina-Clemson game, the South Carolina fans will burn paper tigers. <laughs> now, if you're curious as to why the students might have chosen a gamecock of all animals, it could be because cockfighting was a popular attraction in some parts of the South back then. Now, the ferociousness and aggression of a gamecock, it would have been familiar to all the local fans. 
In the late 90s, they started bringing a live bird to the USC football games, and it was informally named in honor of then-head coach Lou Holtz, and it was named Cocky Doodle Lou. <laughs> but now he has earned the nickname of Sir Big Spur. Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Lydia from Houston, Texas. Lydia says, my dog is not getting enough exercise. I know it and I know we are to blame. I have three kids, both my husband and I work, and the dog is suffering for it. My kids are old enough to walk her, but they just don't. Any tips on getting my kids away from the video games and helping out? Lydia, if I had that secret, I wouldn't be doing this and I'd be a millionaire and retired. (laughs) Look, the secret to getting kids to do stuff, honestly, it comes down to the same concepts as dog training. Believe it or not, it's consequence and reward. If there's no consequence to get your kids to stop playing the video games and walk the dog, they're not going to stop playing the video games. So look, I'm not I'm not trying to give parenting advice today at the same time you asked. Uh, (laughs) It's plain and simple. There has to be a consequence for continuing to play the video games. And I see it also on the other side. There has to be a reward for walking the dog. Okay. Now, whether that reward is just getting to go play the video games again, that's fine. Uh, Whatever motivates the kids. But you have to understand that they work the same way. It's the same concepts. So if they don't go and walk the dog and, and do what they need to do, the video game gets taken away. I mean, I don't know about you, but thank goodness my parents didn't have to do this because I was a pretty good kid, but I know they would have. They would have ripped that game console out of the wall so fast or hid the power, you know, the the, the, the power adapter or so, taken that away from me, something Um that's what they would have done had it gotten to that point. Thank goodness um, they never had to. So look, at the end of the day, a consequence is a consequence. The definition of punishment or consequence definition is anything an animal works to avoid. You have to find something that your three boys, uh, three kids, sorry, I'm assuming they're boys. I don't know, you know, whatever. Um, sounds like they're. <laughs> we have to find something they work to avoid whether that's getting the video game taken away or losing allowance or not being allowed to go out with their friends or getting their, you know, a musical and guitar taken away. I'm just trying to think of all the different things kids want or do. Cell phone, internet, privileges. I mean, there's so many things that I think parents miss out on, on opportunities to reward and punish kids nowadays, that it's just this constant stimulus and reward, you know, because the stimulus, the constant stimulation and blinking lights and all that crap. Um, you can tell I, my kids would hate me if I had them. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's too much, in my opinion. It's too much. And even for ourselves, we get caught in it too. Um, it's just too much. And that stimulation is actually a form of reinforcement and reward. And then you're like constantly getting this reward. And then if you're not getting it, your brain can't function without it. And so you want the real answer, Lydia, it's get rid of the video games and restrict how much they play. Uh, that's that's the big answer, if I'm just being honest. But yeah, it's a matter of consequence and reward. There has to be a consequence for not walking the dog, and there's got to be a reward for doing it. It's that simple. So I hope that helps you out, but uh, good luck to you. <laughs> this next question. This comes from Cheryl from Tampa, Florida. Cheryl says, I taught my dog to swim, and now he will not stay away from the pool. I can't take him outside or out on the patio without him trying to run over and jump right in the pool. 
How can I teach him and show him to only go in the pool when I want him to? Great question, Cheryl. First of all, your dog's just probably hot. <laughs> it's been a hell of a summer, hasn't it? All you northerners thinking of moving to Florida, yeah, come, come down and experience this. I, 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 I please. Um, <laughs> you'll hate it. Uh, so anyway, getting back to it, how do you teach them? Look, this is going to be a little tough. I'll be honest. You cannot go out on your patio where your pool is. This is rule number one. You absolutely cannot take your dog out on that patio without him being on a leash. It's that simple. He cannot go out there without being on a leash because it sounds to me like the second he's out, he's bolting for it, right? So you have to create some physical restraint and physical control. Now, I would recommend your dog know a leave it command, a stay command, and a release command. Those are the three that are going to help out here. So not only do we have to leash our dog up when we take him outside, we have to give him the proper communication of what we're looking for. So I might walk outside and the second he goes to pull for the uh, pool, pull, pull for the pool, there you go, we make a correction, redirect it and tell him leave it. Okay, leave it. The second he shows no, or excuse me, the second he gives up interest in the pool, whether that's through focus turning away or just not being, I'm going to tell him good boy, good leave it and reward it with a treat. Okay. Then we're going to work it up to the point that I can hopefully, you know, that he's calmed down a little as we get closer to the pool by working on that leave it command. Then you're going to get him over to the side of the pool and you're going to say stay. Good stay. And if he stays, of course, good stay. And then once you're ready, now you need to be ready to let him in the pool at some point. At some point, then I'm going to release him and say, all right, and let him go in the pool. Okay. I need you to practice this with sometimes not letting in the pool. We're just going to say stay and say and walk away from the pool and say good boy. We're going to make him understand you're not allowed to go in the pool until I release you. Okay, it's going to take some work. It's definitely into three. It's kind of a multi-step process. And number one, your dog has to know a leave it, a stay, and a release command. Those three commands have got, you can do it without it, but I'm telling you, this is going to help you. Okay, and then we, of course, we have to leash them up and just simply take away allowing going into the pool from a physical standpoint, not allowing him to go in the pool unless you're releasing him. Okay, you're going to probably need to practice this for at least a month. I mean, I'm telling you, if your dog is that gung-ho on going for the pool, you're probably going to need to keep them leashed up for a month, practicing the stay and so on and so forth. So uh, good luck, Cheryl. And I hope that helps you out and getting your dog to stay when you want him to. And of course, going in the pool and having a great time when you want him to. Good luck. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you are going to want to check them out. You can follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Find my YouTube channel at speakadogcast. And if you want to support the show even further, become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. If you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, scroll on down, click that five-star rating or leave me a review. I would love it, guys. I want to thank my patrons, my pup supporters, Regula Wright and Jill Norenberg and my dog friend Maureen Crossan. Have a wonderful week and don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Mm-hmm.